had as many Sunday night as we have on Sunday morning. And so, um, I, and it's, I, I, I know it takes some work, maybe a little different effort, but I'm encouraged when, uh, uh, encouraged just the same to see some of us, sometimes we move a little closer forward. And, uh, you know, we've, uh, I've been debating back and forth. I don't, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you can do what you want. I'm not going to call you out, but uh, um, that, uh, that, but to consider possibly just shutting this back section off in the evenings. And you can give me some feedback afterward. Throw something at me. Say, Pastor, that's a terrible idea. Tell me later. Okay, because I what, I what I'd love to see is us just being together. Okay, and uh, we can be in, in church, but not together. You understand what I mean by that? And uh, part of learning and growing together is being together. And uh, not to mention this group over here, they, they just need, they need help. Okay, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> so, um, but no, that's something we're thinking about doing for the evenings. And just, uh, just because, you know, why use more space than you need to use, right? And, uh, but I, I do see, if, boy, I, as a pastor, you're always thinking of who's there, who's not there and not only because you you want to see everybody there and then you consider what if everyone was here we've got a few people who are not here and so if you think of somebody who's not here say hey we missed you on Sunday night and uh, I know things come up and whatnot what can you do but uh, uh, I'm glad that you are here tonight and I hope that you are challenged and encouraged we're in Romans chapter 2 and um uh, the, I was, as I was preparing for tonight, this was one of those times where I was pretty confident in uh, what I was felt like I was going to say concerning the passage. And as I got to look, looking deeper into it, I, I concluded that I didn't feel that I had um, uh, studied the passage thoroughly enough to come to the understanding of it. And so uh, I came back into my notes just a little before and found, found myself changing a lot of what I had before. And uh, uh, that's um, the, 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 one of the greatest fears I have as a preacher is that uh, I would take the Word of God out of context. And, you know, I think it's, it's fair to say probably for any preacher, sometimes uh, we do, and maybe it's not always intentional, uh, but what sometimes we do. Uh, but that, that's definitely not my intent. Uh, my goal is that you would hear from God's Word and what God's Word says, uh, because truthfully, it doesn't matter what kind of, uh, call it what you will, um, uh, unfortunate or glowing outline that the preacher may bring, the outline's not what's important. And uh, I've said this before, but if you take notes, uh, or you like to take notes, uh, write down uh, Scripture, write down what the Word of God says concerning a matter. And sometimes uh, the preacher says things that are worthy writing down uh, of what was exactly said, but um, uh, be sure your notes include Scripture, because that's if there's anything that I hope that you would reference back to or seek to remember, it's what was studied within the Word of God. We've been doing a study through the book of Romans together, and um, I remind you, the, just in context, Paul's writing to the church at Rome. This was one of his books that he wrote in which he, it was not to a church which he started. And so uh, as a result, we see the difference in his writing. He speaks much of a theological standpoint in the entirety of the book. Really, the first three chapters of Romans, he touches much upon the matters of sin. And of course, we know uh, as, uh, as a very familiar verse, Romans chapter 3 and uh, verse 10 and also verse 23, talking about how that uh, we have all sinned, and that's the, it with inclusion to the subject, okay? Once we get into chapter 4, uh, he, he broadens on more uh, outside of the subject of sin and really brings it back to the Jews on the, uh, the law and the things concerning the law, because as we looked at last week, 
uh, this, the, there's a friction that's continually happened between the Jews and the Gentiles, and particularly it was that the Jews did not believe that the Gentiles could be, uh, could be saved because... Okay, they did not believe they could be right with God because they did not hold to the Jewish law. They did not hold to the law of Moses, as we would also call it. Uh, they, there was not, uh, and so therefore, the Gentiles who did not do sacrifices, they did not believe in circumcision, they did not uh, hold to the Ten Commandments as strongly as the Jews did. Uh, they they differed in their thinking, and especially the Jews. Now, the Gentiles, I'm sure, had their ways of thinking towards the Jews, um, uh, but uh, when we consider from the ends of theology, the Jews really set themselves in such a higher pedestal above the Gentiles. And uh, it is this that, um, that Paul is going to underline for us in chapter 2. He began the chapter, if you remember, uh, about talking about how, how that God is the righteous judge. And we talked about last week how that um, we should not judge before the judge and that it is God who is the ultimate judge. He is the righteous judge of all things and that the sins of, uh, of other men uh, will be will be what each of us will give account before God uh, uh, someday and, and give account before God even to this day, should I say. Um, but it's not to be our our place to point the finger or to call them out. And there's a difference between um, uh, discrimination and, and rebuking or judging and rebuking. Uh, rebuke is one that is done in love, in the love of Christ, speaking the truth in love. Uh, whereas uh, the opposite is as straightforward as it is, but uh, we don't. it's not for us to point the finger at everything that Christian or not Christian is not doing right. Uh, because as a result of doing that, really uh, what we have a tendency to do in our own spirit is uh, proclaim what we believe that we are doing right, as opposed to what they are not doing right. And so, um, chapter 2, we left off in verse number uh, 13, where the Word of God says for, uh, I'm sorry, we left off in verse 12, uh, but look at verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God, and we understand that God, as the righteous judge, judges all men equally. All the same, you know that is to be uh, how our treatment is towards others. That we would not, uh, whether Christian or not Christian, whether living in sin or not living in sin, uh, whether um, uh, you know differences or not differences, we're treating all equally, and uh, that we would leave the ultimate judgment for God. Uh, but let's look at verse number uh, thirteen. The Word of God says, "For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified." For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. And the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And uh, here he kind of, verse 16, he concludes the subject concerning God as the judge, and now he begins to direct his letter back to the church at Rome. Verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and, the, uh, and of the truth and the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, doest thou steal? 
Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast the law, though breaking uh, the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteous of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision. Now, uh, again, uh, I say to you that Paul is writing to the church at Rome uh, with the ends of uh, uh, much of a theological stand. And if you notice, sometimes where he repeats himself, it almost, if, you, if you're not following closely, you can get a little caught in the words and it may be a little confused, uh, especially ver verse 25, verse 26. He talk about, talks about circumcision, uncircumcision. In verse number um, uh, 14 and, and 15, he talks about uh, the, the accusing, excusing, all these things uh, that we, as we look together, we're going to try to look um, uh, deeply enough to gain that understanding. And so let's pray together as we dig into these, this passage tonight. Lord, we ask that you would uh, speak to us this evening. I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit, give me the words to say. Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, remove uh, the work of Satan uh, away from our minds and our hearts. Uh, may we open ourselves up to what you would have for us. We ask and pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to bring our attention to those final verses where the Bible speaks concerning that matter of circumcision. But the specific phrase is made uh, in verse number 29 where the Bible says, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart. Uh, I've entitled the message tonight, Circumcision of the Heart. Circumcision of the heart. What is that circumcision? It's the removing of, the removal of that which is not necessary. It, it, when, we, when we read it in Scripture in this context, it's speaking of making something clean. Okay, removing of, making it clean, clearing away that which is not necessary. And so, uh, in, in other references to this same verse that we see uh, circumcision being used is in Jeremiah chapter 4, in verse number 4, where the Word of God says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire, and burn that none quench it, because of the evil of your doings. In Jeremiah, he talks about that of the heart, the circumcision of the heart. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 19, the word of God says circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandment of God. And so what is Paul trying to say in the book of Romans when speaking of this matter? Well, it's all connected to the law. Because the Jews believed that circumcision being part of the law, they believed that you had to abide by the law to truthfully be right with God. Uh, and so when they would consider what Paul was saying of how the Gentiles could be saved, uh, could be made uh, right, declared righteous before God, justified in the eyes of God, that boggled their mind. Uh, because to them, you, there were all these things which needed to be done. And so uh, there was a judgment which they were making towards those individuals. And that judgment was because you're not doing as we are doing. And so Paul really lays out some different ways that a Christian is to obey God. And if you caught it at the beginning of verse number uh, 13, you would have noticed where the Bible says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but who? The doers 
of the law shall be justified. Uh, Paul's making emphasis upon the very matter of doing. And of course, we know, uh, as Matthew 7 in verse 24 tells us, that it is the wise man who builds his house upon a rock in the sense of the fact that he hears and he does. Okay? Jesus himself says, Therefore, whosoever heareth and and doeth these sayings of mine. In James 1 and verse 22, the word of God says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. So we understand, the Bible tells us it's not enough to hear the law, but to be a doer of the law. Now here's the problem, because the Jews, they heard the law, and yet they were also doing the law, but it was not that they were doing it, and it was not that they were not doing it, but it was that they were not doing it of the heart. And so the emphasis that Paul seeks to make is that circumcision of the heart. That truthfully, the removal of that, that uh, foreskin, the removal of that which is that necess- not necessary, the uncleanness out of your life should be on the inside. And he says, well, you guys are so concerned about the outside. You're looking at, look at all the actions I do. Look at my sacrifices. Look, uh, I, I'm, I'm circumcised. I'm one of the Jews. I, I, I go to the temple. I worship. I do all these things that are expected of me. I'm a hearer and a doer. But I say to you, it's more than just being a hearer and a doer in our actions. The doing should be done of our heart. And so the Word of God tells us uh, these different ways that a Christian can obey God. These different ways that a Christian can obey God. And Paul begins by first speaking concerning the Gentiles. So he talks about, number one, obedience by nature. Obedience by nature. Now understand the context. Ultimately, Paul is trying to explain to the Jews that their way of thinking concerning the Gentiles is biblically, it is uh, by God, wrong. Okay, And so he begins first by talking about the Gentiles' obedience by nature. Verse 13, the hearers of the law are just before God, the doers of the law shall be justified. Verse 14, the word of God says, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, okay, because we know the Gentiles, they don't obey, obey the law, but what do they do? They do by nature the things contained in the law. Because they, having received Christ by faith through grace, They now have a new life in Christ. They're born-again Christians. And now by their very nature, yes, sin by nature, but by their very nature, it comes with a naturality of knowing my life is different. God has saved me. I need to live a different life than I was before. So God is not saying that that nature, that sin nature is removed, but rather we're understanding that they, by their nature, it's coming naturally, okay? Do you have to tell uh, a person who gets a Christian, do you have to tell, becomes a Christian, uh, do you have to tell them uh, how to do that which is right? Well, yes and no. But generally speaking, they know what is right. Yes, there are things maybe they're ignorant too, but they know what's right. They know what kind of life they should live. I, I've seen it so many times in the life of teenagers, and here a young person gets saved, and next thing you know, you see them come to church. Just by their very look, they're, they're completely dressed different coming to church. Just by their singing of the hymns, they're singing different. Just by their involvement and desire to be involved is completely different. Okay, So it's not even something you have to instruct to the saved individual because they know they're saved. Amen. They know that there's been a change in their heart. And so this is what he's talking about concerning the Gentiles. They, uh, they, though they don't abide by the law, yet it is the law itself in verse 15. The, the, they show the work of the law written in their hearts. 
the word, the, the, all that is written in the law is what's now abiding inside their heart. And by the way, let us re be reminded of the fact that the law is no longer necessary, okay? Uh, because now Jesus has died on the cross. Amen? Aren't you thankful that we don't, uh, we are not given the law simply to abide by and, and that, uh, that we don't have to bring sacrifices to church every single week <laughs> and watch Pastor Miller, you know, as he goes through all the different orders of things. But that's, that's how it was in the Old Testament. And that's what we read of and how things were. But now that Jesus Christ has died on the cross, the Bible tells us he became the ultimate sacrifice. Therefore, making every other sacrifice uh, no longer necessary because the ultimate sacrifice was made. Now, why were sacrifices made? Because a sacrifice was necessary because blood must be shed. Death is the result of sin. There must be a punishment of sin. So when the law was instituted, it was instituted that it would be a schoolmaster to the, to the, to the Jews, that they would see and be brought to Christ through the law. Okay, that they would see that it is God in the picture of God who would become that ultimate sacrifice. But because the ultimate sacrifice had not been made in the Old Testament, sacrifices were still made, the law was still laid by, but Paul now brings to them, this is after Jesus has died upon the cross, and he says the law is no longer necessary. But here's the uniqueness in how Paul does things. Though he would speak boldly, he's not shoving it down their face. He's bringing it to them first by helping them to understand, hey, you, you, let's, let's first see how that we are treating others in our own though obedience to the law, let's see how that we're treating others, and in this case, the Gentiles. And they were treating the Gentiles, yes, with judgment, but so far as to consider them not even right with God. So what does all this say? Well, the Word of God tells us they showed the works of the law written in their hearts. Jesus, the Bible tells us, God lives inside of you the moment you become a Christian. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? Amen. And when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, the Bible describes that person of God as the Holy Spirit. Now, you are part of Christ. That's why we use the name Christian. Christian, okay? You are now a part of Christ, but the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Now, what do we mean by that? It means that the Holy Spirit can now guide you. The Holy Spirit can now lead you. The Holy Spirit now gives you discernment in your mind. And this is now what he's making reference to in verse number 15. He says, their conscience also bearing witness. Uh, Disney just come out with that movie, you know, Pinocchio, right? And they're talking, uh, here, here's Jiminy Cricket, right? Listen to your conscience. The world today says, your conscience. I know I've said this before, but the, 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 there's nothing more wrong in society when the, Bible, when, when the Bible is contradicted by others' words to say, well, just, just believe in yourself. Just, just listen to uh, that, that your, yourself. The conscience for the Christian gives us that discernment, but who helps us to provide the correct and proper discernment? The Holy Spirit. You see, all of us have a conscience. The non-Christian has a conscience. They know what's right and what's wrong, but it's the Holy Spirit who works through our conscience, and therefore, now our conscience bears witness of the very fact that God has changed my mind, <laughs> or should we say, God has changed my way of thinking. I now have a new life in Christ. I no, lo no longer think or desire to live this life. I now have a new life in Christ. And so uh, this is that work. The Gentiles, they, they had now had a new life in Christ. So others knew they were Christians. The Gentiles were Christians through the way that they were living their life. 
God was written in their heart. But secondly, because their conscience and or the Holy Spirit bore witness, the Holy Spirit was assuring them that, hey, what you're doing is the right thing. You know, you, you, that there's a peace now in their heart coming through Christ, coming through God, that now they know with assurance where they will spend all eternity in not being with Christ. But we understand in, in context, and this is what Paul, as he begins in verse number 16, he's getting ready to make it more personal, right back to the Jews. When we consider the conscience, the conscience can be seared. The conscience is given to us to have the discernment through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it can be seared of that which is thought to be right but is in reality wrong but it's been thought to be right because it's been continually done over and over and over to such an extent that any contradiction of god's word has now become uh, obsolete the word of god tells us there's obedience that comes by nature and all of us as believers tonight understand what we mean by that that the moment that you receive christ there is now a change in your life and you now have a different set of desires. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm thankful for those new desires that God has placed in my heart. Does that mean that I'm no longer a, a sinner? No, as long as I'm on this earth, I, I, I will always live in a sinful body, same as you. Uh, we, none of us are perfect people, uh, but God gives us the power of his Holy Spirit and continually assuring us that, you are, that we are believers in Christ and that when we obey God and do obey his word, he gives us that assurance. Number two, we see that there is obedience by expectation. A person can obey by nature, but another person can obey simply and only by expectation, or should we say by form. And these are actually the words, uh, the, this is actually the word which Paul himself uses. But let's first understand how he speaks to the Jews. Uh, he's directly addressing them in their lifestyle and how that God intends for them to live. He begins in verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew. Begins first by saying, you are identified with God. You are one of the people of God. You are uh, more than, than uh, just a people. You are a chosen people. Now, God was, we, we know as we just read, there, there is no respect of persons with God. God did, uh, th though we know the children of Israel to be God's people, God's chosen people, we, we understand today that, that God does not love any select group of people or treat any select group of people different than the others. God had simply chosen the Jews. He'd chosen the children of Israel. And, uh, but after Jesus died on the cross, all of the, uh, the, the purpose and the, the, the instruction and the, the leading and the direction that God had given to the children of Israel, all this has changed. And actually, as we'll look in the book of Romans, we see the reference to the remnant because even God's own chosen people, God had come so much to the point where he had uh, 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 almost and nearly obliterated, uh, well, I think that's the word I'm looking for, uh, the, the, the Jews themselves completely wiped them out. There was just but a very small remnant, the Bible tells us. So with this, this in mind, we understand that they were people who are identified by God. And, and Paul says, Behold, thou art called a Jew. And you're identified from all other nations. But here's the principle he tries to bring back to them. Though you are identified among other nations, yet you're not living identified with God. You are not, you are not living as a peculiar people, different from the rest. 
And what does he say more? Verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law. Uh, we find of the, the Jews, they, they uh, uh, didn't study or hold to anything more strongly than the law itself. But they weren't living like they believed the law. And he's going to express on that even more. So they, Paul says, were identified with God. Number two, they were indebted to God. They were indebted to God. He says, Thou art called a Jew, he restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. See, now here's the underlying problem. There, there, there's a boast which they're making of all that they are in their relationship with God. So though they live by the law, though they are Jews, God's chosen people, yet they are making sure that everyone knows how they're living. And therefore, that's the reason why there was judgment being made to the Gentiles. Because they saw themselves as living how God expected them to live, and therefore they were better than the Gentiles. Really, in, in essence, there was even the grain uh, of desiring to be noticed. I believe that's why Paul uses that word boast. They're not just simply obeying because they love God and they desire to obey God and because they're identified with God, but they're obeying because they want to be noticed for what they're doing. They were indebted to God, the Bible tells us. Um, and Paul's saying this, essentially, because they know God, they're identified with God, uh, they have a greater expectation to be those doers, to live a circumcised-of-the-heart life. But what was happening was, is they were obeying by expectation. Let's look at verse number 18. The Word of God says, and noticed his will. They knew they were what they were to be doing. They knew what kind of life was expected of them to live. One person put it this way, with great privilege comes great responsibility. And so uh, God choosing the children of Israel, the Jews, as a chosen people, yet they were not living in such a way that was honorable to God. And in verse number 18, notice as well and approve us the things that are more excellent. Uh, so they were taught out of the law. They also knew that, uh, and, and as a result, they knew what they were not to be doing. Um, but uh, they, the, the question is that, we're, that Paul's bringing to them is, are you doing it with a heart of circumcision? In Galatians 5 and verse 2 through 6, the word of God says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, he's speaking to the church at Galatia, that if ye be circumcised, uh, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And so we understand that it, it, that it is not a matter of are you living by the law to this capacity or not, because God will judge all the same. We'll all give account before God just the same. And 
though the, the law is not to supersede uh, and to be the only uh, for today, and we speak in reference today, it is not to be the only thing which we live by. Today we read of the law in the Word of God. Okay. Now, in, in, the, war, in the Old Testament, they didn't have a copy of the Word of God like we have today. That's why they would abide by the law. And they had portions of Scripture at points in time in which they were written. And that is what, that, what, that which they lived by. Today, we, be given, we being given all of the Word of God, uh, that, is to what, that is to be what we are living by. And um, how do we know how that we are to live for God and in obedience to God? Through the Word of God. All right? And uh, so uh, they were identified with God. They were indebted to God. And we see number three, they were instructed, or they instructed others without God. They instructed others without God. He says, and knowest his will, you know what's expected of you, and approvest the things that are more excellent. Uh, you, you know what is expected of you to do. Be instructed out of the law. Uh, these Jews were being, instru- they were instructing the Gentiles who were blind to the truth of the word of God uh, um, uh, and, and that they had to be ones who were in obedience to the law as they were. Look at verse 20. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Uh, notice he talks about that form of knowledge and the truth, this expectation of obedience. Uh, the form uh, of the law is the model which they're living by. So if you don't live this way and only this way, now was the law wrong? No. no. But it was not to be the only thing which they were to, that to hold to to such an extent that everything else became secondary. And the law did not make them so much of a special people above everyone else. And this is the principle which Paul is trying to bring across to them. In verse 21, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, though breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? You see, what is Paul saying? He says, you're not practicing what you're teaching. You're teaching the law. He mentioned so much of the, the, those Ten Commandments. You're not practicing them in, their own, in your own lives. And you're condemning the Gentiles for the life in which they're living as though you're living so much better of a life. The truth is, could we say that all of us are truly living by the Ten Commandments in complete and absolute obedience? No. I mean, we strive to live in obedience, but we do break the law. Okay, We're not better then, is the principle that Paul is trying to bring across here. And so... Um, I've kind of summarized it here, verse 19 through verse 22. Um, what did they not practice uh, in their teaching? Um, well, what they were doing, they were committing sins, which they taught and preached against. Number two, they were committing adultery because they broke their commitment with the Lord. In what, in what way? That word sacrilege. The word sacrilege, it literally means to rob a temple. And what we're given is the very picture that they were robbing God of their own tithes and offerings, that which belonged to God. Their finances were becoming idols, okay? They were not giving God his rightful place in different areas of their own life, and Paul's calling them out, okay? Now, now we understand that Paul, being inspired by God, writing the word of God, uh, this, though, we see Paul's personality, but this is not Paul who's bringing that 
a, a judgment to them, in speaking in context of judgment, he is not saying he is the judge. He's simply saying God is the judge. And understand that all men will be given account equally before God. God is not a respecter of persons. He does not treat others differently. So therefore, we should not. And therefore, just as you are saved by God through faith and by grace alone, uh, so it is the same for the Gentiles. And the way in which you live the Christian life, uh, though you abide by the law and they do not by the law, yet the, the word of God, all that God desires for them and how they are to live is written in their hearts and they're given the Holy Spirit who confirms in their mind and in their heart that they are living how that God intends and expects for them to live. You see, this is all of what he's, uh, of what he's trying to lay out. But what are they doing? They're dishonoring God through hypocrisy. And so that's why he brings these questions. Thou therefore that teachest, thou that preachest, thou that, that, uh, thou that sayest that no man should commit adultery, thou that makest thy boast of the law, though breaking the law dishonorest thou God. He says, do not see yourself as dishonoring God in what you're doing. Because the very thing that you're teaching and preaching and saying that you're so better than everyone else about is the very thing that you are doing in your own life. And I say to you today, we must be careful, as we said this last week, be careful to whom we point the finger because there are those three fingers that point back at us. And more than just understanding that saying, but understanding this, that we have our own faults. We have our own sins. We have our own things that we need to work at. And, and boy, I know there's, if there's one thing that I have to remind myself, even in my preaching and teaching, that I would not preach and teach in such a way that I am exempt from. Because I most definitely am not. <laughs> I, am, I am just as you, a sinner saved by grace. And, uh, and I am just as capable of committing wrongs as you are. Uh, definitely on no higher, higher tower by any means. In fact, I'm much more of a target, if at the very least. <laughs> uh, because uh, that, that is exactly who Satan desires to go after, is the people whom God calls to do his work. And so, we understand that there is an obedience that is by nature. There is an obedience by expectation, a form. Only what is expected of me, but it's not truly of the heart. But number three, there's obedience that can be had without God. Obedience without God. And this is what, as he really is speaking, escalation to them, uh, to, the, to the Jews. They were obeying by expectation, by form, but ultimately they're obeying without God in the picture. In verse 24, the Bible tells us that God was blasphemed. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. That which you're teaching and preaching is, is not even a, according to, uh, to God's um, order of things. You see, there were in some cases the Jews who were seeking to teach the Gentiles exactly how that they should be living according to the law. But Paul is trying to tell them the law is no longer necessary. In the book of 1 Corinthians, it mentions, he mentions even more to the church at Corinth that the, the law is not to be uh, so necessary that it's the only thing that you hold to. Now that Christ has died on the cross, that ultimate sacrifice has been made and we've been given the word of God to live by, the Holy Spirit to guide us. And this is the difference. We see the coming, the comforter who comes, the Holy Spirit who comes in the New Testament who's now, uh, through every believer, leads and guides and directs. And in, in, the, in the book of Acts, we find natural uh, abilities of... Uh, 
Um, but Paul says those things are no longer necessary. Uh, those things are no longer um, the, the, the greatest thing. 1 Corinthians 13, that more excellent way, love. Charity never faileth. God gives us His Holy Spirit, the comforter within us, the guidance, that assurance in our mind of knowing that He's there. And as God would lead us and direct us, He gives us our, His word to obey. Uh, but yet in the same, uh, that we are given the gift of love. And that if there's anything that we should be seeking to teach, it's of the love of Christ, and we're loving others just the same, because charity never faileth. Obedience without God. They blasphemed the name of God. Verse 25, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. He's not talking about a physical circumcision here. He's talking about that circumcision of the heart. In verse 26, Therefore, if this uncircumcision keep the righteous of the law, shall not the uncircumcision be comforted, uh, be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee? who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. You see, circumcision was just as much one more of those things that identified the Jews as God's people. And we understand the picture that's being made here is this, that as the Jews were a chosen people and were to be identified with God, and one of those ways was through circumcision, so we are to be identified with God in our own lives. Uh, we're talking about spiritually, identifying with God. That the way in which we live in obedience to God would not be anything of who we are, but in complete and direct obedience to what his word says. But so it is true that we can obey without God. We can go through the formality of it all and God not be involved in it. And God forbid that we as Sunday school teachers and uh, serving in nursery, serving in, in, a, in a bus, serving in a children's program, uh, to whatever extent may be, but God forbid that we would not obey and serve God and it not be of the heart. By the way, you can't obey God of the heart if your heart is not right with God. If there's other things that, are, that, are, that your heart is filled with, the Bible describes that as a hardness now of heart. You've hardened your heart, and in some cases, maybe seared your own conscience. But now that which the Holy Spirit should be doing in your life, and bringing to your mind and attention of that which is right and how to live your life, now you've so seared your conscience to even acknowledging it in your mind. You don't even realize you're doing You don't even realize the wrong anymore. God was blasphemed, but God was not represented. And we've said that already, uh, but uh, he says... In verse 29, once again, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is of, thine, uh, is of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Circumcision is that of the heart. The question tonight is, are we circumcised of the heart. Are we identifying with God through an obedience that is, we say, using scripture, by nature. As a Christian, now we by a new nature, a new life in Christ. We now have new desires, a new way in which we are living. 
We're not living a hypocritical life of lifting ourselves on a higher pedestal than others. But that which we're preaching and teaching is what we are seeking to live also in our own lives. In the midst of all of this, as we are obeying God, we're not doing it in a form. There's no formality in it. We, we, how easy that is, and we see that in churches today, unfortunately. Uh, the, there's a formality in the pianist and the organist. The preacher gets up, there's a formality in the preacher. There's a formality in... There should be formality in some things, okay? There's, a, there's an order. The Bible says all things are to be done decently in an order. But the formality is not to be done in such a way that it's only a mundaneness. An obedience that is not of the heart, but of, of, of expectation. God expects me to do this, so I'm doing it, but my heart's not in it. This is what we're talking about. Is your heart in all that you're doing for God? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is so clear. We thank you that we have...